Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. What a great week it's been. Um, I think these uh, students, you guys baptized like what? 82 people Wednesday? Was it eight, 10? What was it? Seven. Oh, okay. I overshot. Get with the program, Sean. I mean, what's the deal? No, nah, but man, it's been incredible to see what God's doing. And we've had a, we've had a great, great week. Also, fasting, uh, man, it's coming to a close. Uh, if you are new to the story, new to be around here for 22 days, what we've done is we have gone without a meal a day. Fasting involves going without a meal, goes without food. And so we have fasted for 22 days, at least one meal a day. You know, a lot of people fast 21 days. A lot of average people fast 21 days. We want to be above average. Come on, you guys. Anybody above average? And so uh, that felt prideful. I, forgive me, Lord. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we uh, have done that over the course of the last 22 day, 21 days. Tomorrow will be 22. And we've just seen God do some really amazing things, talking to people and how God's uh, just stirred their hearts and their intensity and in their prayer life. I know for me, it's shown some triggers, maybe for you, like sometimes you may reach for food or reach for something that you really don't need it. It's just for whatever reason you do that. And I believe God begins to grow us through that process. Some of you have seen some incredible answer to prayer. And actually, there's a card in your seat. Um, we'd love for you to fill out. Uh, you'll notice on the back, there's a place where it says my battle to blessing story. Maybe you had a battle that you were fighting, a dream that you had. You've seen God come through. Would love for you to write that down. We'll have a time to turn that in at the end. You can do that while I'm talking. I don't mind. Um, also, you may have a, you may still need someone to pray for you. We would love to do that. So we'll use that card for that. Hey, as we get into the message today, uh, just want to start out talking about socks socks. There we go. Got one in with me. Come on now. That's good. No, you tell me. Hey, hey, how many people here own socks? Like pretty much everybody, right? Everybody owns socks. Now, now here's the deal about socks. We wear socks for a lot of reasons. You wear socks because they're comfortable. Your shoes would probably be uncomfortable if you didn't have socks on. Keep your feet warm because it's 19 degrees outside. You need socks to do that. It keeps your feet from smelling bad. You don't want to know why your feet stink. You don't wear socks. We wear socks for that. Man, there's, and there's all kind of different socks that we wear. We have tall socks and short socks. Like ladies, ladies, ladies. Y'all have some of these toe socks you wear with like mules and no back sandals. Like what's up with that? That feels wrong to me. But it's a sock nonetheless. Am I right? Like some, we have specialty socks. My mom always gave us Christmas socks at Christmas. So I always wear Christmas socks um, around Christmas. Someone gave me socks that have Theodore Roosevelt on them because he's one of my heroes. Uh, I'm not wearing them now, so don't look. But, um, you know, we wear socks for different reasons. They come in all shapes, all sizes, all colors, and for all seasons. Now, now, now not only do we all have socks, you know what else we've all done? We have all lost Socks. Anybody lose a sock in here? Moms, you know you've lost some socks. Like what happens to our socks? You know the average person loses 1,200 socks in a year, right? Uh, excuse me, in their lifetime. That'd be a lot of socks. Um, in their lifetime. Like I learned that from the Sock Institute of America. You think I'm joking, Google it after service. Like they do studies on this kind of thing. Where do the socks go? Don't you ever ask yourself that question? Like I feel like the, the washing machine industry and the sock energy industry are in collusion to lose socks, don't you? Like they got a profit sharing agreement that's going on. Like we lose socks. You know what we never do with the socks that we lose? The ones that we have, we never throw them away. You got a laundry basket full of stray socks, like a stray cat. Like you, where, where do they go? I don't know where they go. So you keep your socks. And every now and then what you'll do is you'll take them out. You'll put them all over the floor and see if you can mate them, put them together with a mate, right? 
Now, now here's, here's what happens. Sometimes you can't find a mate. So you may be late for work or late for school or late for church. So you're going to grab two socks and you'll wear two socks that what? They don't match, do they? Now I've done that before. Like I'm type A, I feel a little bit off kilter when I don't have socks that match, don't you? Like what, my shoes in the closet, they have to be you know, left and right. I can't have them off. And when I'm not wearing, so I'm in a meeting and I got socks that don't match. I'm like the world knows I am disordered right now. And how about, how about these socks? You know, the ones that are marked left and right. You got these socks? Mark Levin, right? Yeah. And so here's what happens. If you have two lefts, you're in a hurry. You put two left socks on during the day. It feels like you're on one foot all day, right? You're just off balance. Something is not right. Now, now here's the thing about socks. Here's one thing that you never do is you never wear just one sock, do you? Like you never wear, you, you don't be like, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the mate. Let me just wear the left one or the right one. We never do that. Why? Because socks go together. And socks are a lot like people. Man, there's all different shapes and sizes for different purposes, for different reasons, different designs, different colors. There's all different ways that we wear them, designs for them. And same is true for people, all different shapes and sizes. And we were never meant to be alone. You see, you're you're only as good as the people around you. I'm only as good as the people around you. And you will never live up to the full version of you when it's just you. You know, we're in this series called Follow Season. Let's all say follow together. Follow. And we've been looking at this verse where Jesus says this, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And, And what Jesus means by it, he's talking to some guys whose job is a fisherman. And his job, their, their job is just to catch some fish, just to kind of be involved in the day-to-day, but he's trying to raise the level of their life. He's trying to help them see their purpose. He's trying to help them see longer term to leave a legacy. And this is what it means for us to follow Jesus. Now, the context for following Jesus is always in relationships. This is how we live out how we follow Jesus. This is how we actually do it to the best of our ability. It's actually how we're the most effective is by living out following Jesus with other people. Now, let me ask you this question. Who are you becoming? Like, who are you becoming? Like a lot of times when we answer this question, we think to the future as if we need a crystal ball, right? And we think about the planning. We think about our character qualities. We think about the kind of person we want to become. We think about years down the road, but that's not what I'm asking you today. That's not how I'm asking the question. The way I'm asking the question is, who are you becoming? There is an immediate way that you can find out. There's a way that you can look right now today, not five years, not 10 years, not in your retirement, but right now. And the way that you know who you're becoming is by the people around you that you're listening to, right? Like the people around you that you're listening to. So let's be really specific right now. Who are you becoming? Put a name right there. Like, are, who are, you, are you becoming your neighbor, Fred, that you hang out with? So Fred is who you're becoming because you listen to him most, you are around him the most. Like, who are you becoming? What's the name of the person? Maybe it's a parent who influences you the most. Maybe it's a coworker, right? Maybe it's a mom that you hang out with and do play dates with. Maybe it's Sean Hannity or, um, let's pick another, Michael Smirconish. Like, who knows? Like, like, who is it that you listen to the most that you are becoming? Because you become the people that you listen to that you habitually hang out with. I'll never forget the day I was talking to one of my kids. And I thought to myself, Stephen, you sound just like your dad. Any parents ever done that? 
all of us, I was like, ooh, that, that's a bad day right there, right? I mean, maybe. And because we tend to do that, we drift and we think and we talk and we let our conversations and our motivations be shaped and influenced. Hey, moms, you're becoming like the moms you hang out with. Employees, you're becoming like the friends you hang out with. Leaders, you're becoming like the leaders that you hang out with. We're becoming like the people that we're around. Life revolves around two things, relationships and money. And only one of those will make us rich. One of those, which one do you think it is? And we spend a lot of time and energy and effort thinking about our money, how to handle it, how to process it, how to save it, how to invest it, how to get by with it, how to spend it. Market went down last week. Ooh, what happened? You know, I mean, it, it, gets to be, it gets to be difficult, and we should. But we should spend more time, more energy, more focus, more intentionality about the people who we are around, who are influencing us and shaping us. Who are you becoming? Hey, let's grab our Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter talks a lot about socks. Just kidding. He doesn't. They wore sandals back then for the record. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, Peter was a follower of Jesus. He was one of the top three. He was very close to Jesus. Um, he, he's the one who had no filter. Some of you have read about Peter. You know about him. And he, he just tends to say the things before he thinks about them. And some of you are like that. How many of you in the room, your spouse has no filter, just says what they think all the time? Good job. I didn't see any hands raised except one over here. We'll talk later. Um, in chapter 4, verse 7, Watch what Peter says. <clears throat> He's writing this to the churches in that particular region. He says this in verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. The end is near. Okay. Therefore, and he's going to tell us how to handle it when the end is near. Be self-controlled, sober-minded. In other words, think clearly about your future for the sake of your prayers. Now, let's talk a little bit about this, the end of all things at hand, because it's really important to understand the context. In, in Peter's day, Rome was the ruling city, and there was a guy named Nero. Anybody heard of Nero? Right? Nero was, was, was uh, the Caesar, I suppose, in Rome at the time, and Nero was a fanatic and a lunatic, and he was wild. And so Nero was a great builder, wanted to build the city of Rome, but he was going to have to burn down Rome to be able to rebuild Rome. And so Nero burns down Rome. Hundreds of people die. Now, Nero needed somebody to blame because he couldn't just say, yeah, I burned it down so I could build it back. So Nero blames the Christians. And some of the worst persecution that's ever happened in history takes off during this time. This is where Peter's living, right? So they, one of the things that they did in those, in those days was that they crucified Christians all along the roads throughout the empire of Rome. And they would leave them hanging there for days. Sometimes they didn't leave them hanging there. Sometimes as they crucified them, what they would do was set them on fire as human torches. Now, Peter refers to Rome as Babylon. That's going to be important in a minute. Babylon was the great wicked city of the Old Testament before Jesus was born. Now, Babylon was responsible for taking the nation, uh, God's people, the nation of Israel, and sending them out into exile, away from their homes, away from their family, away from anything, and punishing them. And so when, when 
Peter's writing, he uses the term Babylon to refer to Rome, which is the great wicked evil city in the New Testament since Jesus has been born, only to be superseded by Atlanta, jokes. Um, So you have Rome, and when Peter writes about Rome, he doesn't want to write Rome because in his letters they could get confiscated. They'd read what Peter was writing about Rome, and he would be in trouble. So he uses the phrase Babylon. He says the end is near. This is how you live, he's about to tell us. Now, we, hopefully, we've at least at some point been asked the question in our lives, if you had a one week to live, what would you do? What would you do, right? Go high dive, skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, ride a whore, bull, 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Is that how that goes? You know, sometimes we think like that, but how would we live if we knew the end was near? Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, was asked this question. He says, if you knew tomorrow was the end, what would you do? He says, well, I would go, I would plant a tree, and I'd pay my taxes. He says, why? He says, because I live every day like it's the end, like tomorrow's the last day. And this is what I had planned for today. This is how I would live for the end, because I do it every day. And this is what Peter's going to instruct us. Like, how do we live our lives now like they're going to be over tomorrow? Because eventually they are. And the end could be near. Aren't you encouraged by that? (laughs) So this is the instructions that he gives us. Let's start out in verse 8. It says, above all, in other words, first, foremost, most important. Don't forget this. Make, Make sure you do this. Before you do anything else, he says, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Okay. So the first thing he says is to love people. Like this is how you live as if the end is near. This is how you live with the end in mind. It's to love people. Now, now here's the way our lives are built. Our infrastructure is built on love. You know, we've read a lot about infrastructure, maybe recently in the news over the last year of, you know, we've debated this infrastructure bill uh, in our country and what they'll build. And what infrastructure is in a country is things like road systems and, uh, you know, airlines and electrical grids and water delivery systems and transportation systems. Because what that does for us is it makes our lives secure and efficient. A good infrastructure is good for us. Hence why now when we go to the store and there are empty shelves, it's because there's back order. There's no way to get materials to us. So we don't have some of the things that we go to shop for because there are hundreds of shipping containers or thousands probably off the coast of California that we can't get where they need to go because of infrastructure problems and other problems, economic as well, but there's infrastructure that actually makes our lives better. And you see, love is the infrastructure of our lives. Relationships, loving other people, it is the infrastructure that our lives are built on. You know, there's a saying that it's an African proverb that we say a lot around here. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, take off the baggage and the burden of actually helping other people. And you can go fast for a little while. But if you want to go far, if you want to have influence, if you want to build your soul deep into this world and the next and go with other people, don't go alone, go together. Now, we know that every movie that we love, man, it, it's about groups of people doing things together, isn't it? Lord of the Rings fans in the house, Fellowship of the Ring, let's go. What about Toy Story? Come on, somebody. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Goonies for all us old people in the house. <laughs> what about Remember the Titans? Come on. Or any other sports movie for that matter. Man, we know that when you look at the value of people, how things happen, it helps us. And we're just better when we're around other people. You can ask any doctor. He'll tell you that his patients get better and respond quicker when they have an infrastructure of people around them. Do you know that loneliness registers in your brain like pain, like physical pain? Think about this. You might as well hit yourself on the hand with a hammer as to be lonely. It's the same experience. And so Peter's saying this is how you build your life for the future. Listen, there are no limits to what a loved person can do. Man, ask any kid that grew up in a loving home with parents who took care of him, not perfect parents, but who loved him, provided stability, provided discipline, provided boundaries, provided love. Man, there is no limit to what they can do. And the same is true for all of us. So Peter says, this is the number one. You got to love people. But then he gives three qualities of people that we should look for. Now, these qualities may not all come in the same person. They may come in different people and they may be all kind of different people, but there's now there's obviously going to be more than three in general, but he points out three qualities that we need to look for that we need to have in our lives, but also, also, also don't miss this. We need it in our lives, but we need to be it for somebody else. Okay. So in verse, uh, let's see, verse nine is where we're going to start uh, on this. The first one, the first one is this in verse nine, it says this show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So shows hospitality is the first character quality that we need someone in our life for that. Without grumbling, don't forget that part. Like you can have people over, but if you complain about it, you lost, okay? You didn't win. But but let's talk a little bit about hospitality because Martha Stewart kind of ruined it for a lot of people, I think, uh, because we kind of begin to, we confuse entertaining with hospitality And sometimes they're intertwined, but they're not always the same. You see, hospitality is just an open door that reveals an open heart. It's an open door that reveals an open heart. You see, hospitality is about presence. Entertaining sometimes can be about pressure. And with the advent of Pinterest and HGTV and all those things that happen, entertaining can tend to supersede hospitality. And those things are awesome. But entertaining means, hey, you got to be sure your pumpkins are out in October, your cornucopia in November, and your Christmas lights in December. In January, nothing because everybody hates January, right? (laughs) And so we get focused on the external rather than the internal. I wrote down a few things that kind of help differentiate it. Uh, it says this, entertainment can be defined as lawn mowing, house showing, designer wearing, meal bearing, nerve wracking, grill attacking mentality that seeks to put the process over the people. On the other hand, hospitality can be defined as that conversation starting, love imparting, toddler swaying, God obeying mentality that puts the people above the process. Entertainment says, put your best foot forward. Hospitality says, hey, call Domino's and order some more cheesy bread. <laughs> Entertainment says, how does the house look? Hospitality says, how are you doing? Entertainment says, are the kids in matching outfits? Hospitality says, take your shoes off. Entertaining involves setting the perfect tablescape. After an exhaustive search on Pinterest, it chooses a menu that impress, but frets its way through each stage. It requires every, every pillow to be in place, every cobweb to be eradicated, and every child to be neat and orderly. 
It plans extra time to put on the perfect outfit before the first guest touches the doorbell. And should any element of the plan fall short, the entire evening will be tainted. But hospitality involves setting a table, makes everybody feel comfortable. Chooses a menu that allows FaceTime with guests instead of being chained to the cooktop. It picks up the house to make things pleasant, but doesn't feel the need to conceal evidences of everyday life. I love this. It sometimes sits down to dinner with flour in its hair. (laughs) Not flowers, flour. It allows the gathering to be shaped by the quality of the conversation rather than the cuisine. It's It's good at asking questions and listening to others. It focuses attention on others. Entertaining is always thinking about the next course. This is funny. Hospitality burns the rolls because it was listening to a story. Sorry, we always do that at our house. Ah, Let me get it out of the way. All right, let me go back. I'm back. I'm back. Hospitality burns the rolls because it was listening to a story. Love that, right? Man, man, it's about this open door. Man, you just got people in your life. They just have an open door. Man, they don't expect anything from you. You can just show up and be you. That's all, that's all it means. It's just this, it's not pressure, but it's presence. It's conversation. It's just a place where you can go and feel accepted and loved. No one's going to judge you um, because they could, right? They could. We could all be judged, but you need a place where you can go. You need, I, I like to call these people party people. You need some party people in your life. David and I have a few of those. We have uh, some friends of ours that live in Florida. Everybody needs friends in Florida. Hello. Um, <laughs> they used to live here. They moved down there. And we call and we'll say, hey, is there a vacancy at the end? And then we'll go and we'll show up and we'll hang out. And they will cook and make drinks and make fun. And we'll have a blast. And we may even play karaoke till too late at night. And, man, there's no questions or expectations. They just, man, they just have an open door for us. And everybody needs that in their life. Everybody needs to have an open door for others too. And one of the things that I believe is going to be different in the church, especially in the next decade, is we look at these, the changing landscape of what it means for the kingdom of God to move forward. And this is for Christians in the room. You need to listen real close. If you're not a Christian, you should listen too, just because I'm awesome. But if you Christians in the room, hey, listen really close. This is going to be the primary way we have influence. It's by our open doors and our homes. It's by who sits around our tables. It's by who knocks on the door and says, hey, can I come and hang out? It's by who watches ball games with us. Because what that's going to do is just give you this ability to talk about Jesus. You know, there's this thought that you have this, have this presentation with someone to present the gospel. And really what we should do is converse the gospel. It's a conversation. It's not a presentation. And our open doors. Now, this is not about introvert or extrovert. I get that argument, right? For extroverts, you're like, yeah, let's rock, right? All the people. We want all the people. And the introvert spouse is like, oh, Lord, I've got to go home and listen to this all afternoon. But it's not about introvert or extrovert. And it's just about, it's about how you're wired to make a difference. We have to have open doors. Man, whose door is always open for you? Do you have that person? Do you know that person? Now, you can't just force that on anybody. I mean, maybe the first step for you, if you don't have somebody that does that, is just to open your door for people and watch how God does does that. Number one quality, shows hospitality. You need some party people in your life. Uh, Verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, what Peter's saying here is that everybody's given different wisdom. You're given different strengths, given different gifts to use in the world. We all have different ones. You don't have them all. I don't have them all. And we need people who don't have the gifts that we do to speak into our lives, don't we? We need people who can do the things that we can't do to help us. So he goes on to say it this way. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves. But let's look at this speaking one. It says, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Listen, you need somebody in your life that will speak truth in your life. Amen? Like we need people who will speak truth in our life. Now, there are people who want to speak truth, but it's more to criticize us. But what Peter is talking about is not someone who will criticize us, criticize us, but help construct us, help to build us up. And you can't just let anybody speak truth into your life. You know, part of our problem is we have people-pleasing tendencies that I talked about last week. And we let way too many people speak truth, and it's not really truth, and they don't have our best interest in mind. So when you're looking for someone who will speak truth in your life, students, you really need to get this at an early age because there's a lot of people that are going to want to speak into your lives. Number one, they should support you. They should build you up. They should know who you want to become. They should know the values that you're trying to live out. They should know the destination or at least the roadway that you're trying to live on. Right? They, they should give you support, support. They should be for you so that when they see something that's not going well, when they see you get off the path that you're supposed to be on, guess what? Then they will challenge you, support and challenge. Not criticize you to tear you down, but challenge you to build you up. Man, we all need people who will look at our blind spots, who will find broccoli in our teeth, who will tell us, hey, you're not, this is not good. This is not, who you're look, this is not who you want to be. You want to be somebody different. They will actually help us be the person that we want to become. And you need to give that person permission to speak into your life. This means you need to decide ahead of time who that's going to be. You need to decide ahead of time who is going to be a truth teller in your life. And here's why you need to decide ahead of time. It's because someone can come say something to you. And it's a criticism. What's your natural reaction? I'm going to get defensive I'm going to punch you in the face. Like that's our natural reaction. We're going to get defensive. We're going to be arm's length. We're going to be hands off. We're not going to listen. But if you've decided ahead of time that you trust somebody, guess what? Man, it's arms down. It's listening. It's believing that they have your best interest in mind. You decide ahead of time and you give that person permission. Don't assume that someone close to you feels like they have permission to speak into your life. Especially if you're a parent, nobody wants to tell you how you're ruining your children. Because <laughs> you're going to get offended, maybe, and their feelings are going to get hurt. I mean, nobody. But if you've given someone permission, then you've said, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. I may not agree on the surface. It may be difficult, but I am going to listen. Like Here's an example of that in marriage. Like you should, you're, If you're married... Your, your spouse should be able to challenge you in a way that's healthy and helpful. And if you're dating and think you may want to marry someone and you can't do that, you should just cut it off today because it ain't going to go well for you. 
So, so one of the things that with my wife and I is that like I've decided she can speak in every area, but specifically I have to think about when I'm driving. Okay. When I'm driving, I have to think, okay, when she says something, she's trying to keep us alive. So we'll be driving and she'll be like, Hey, there's the turn. I'm like, I know where the turn is. I'm not dumb. I've been this way before, but generally I'll miss the turn. So what I have to think of is, hey, if I, if I, if I get aggravated or irritated, I will apologize later. I really need you to help keep us out of the ditch, right? I've decided ahead of time I've given her permission. Hey, and the younger you are, the more older people you need to, you need to speak into your life. Man, there are some people around you that have been through the wars, have made the mistakes, have got the wisdom, can speak into your life, and you need to be around them and ask them some questions. You need to take them to, uh, for dinner or lunch or, or a meal or coffee or just go over to their house and have a list of questions that you want to ask that you need help on. Man, we need people to make us better to speak into our lives. You know, the book of Proverbs says... Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Now, the word man there is gender neutral, so it could be female, it could be male, and it can go either way, right? It, it, it's iron sharpens iron. And you can know what kind of life you're living by the quality of people around you. You can know the life you're living by the quality of people around you. Just think about, picture them in your mind right now. Is that the kind of person you want to be? Do they adequately reflect the significance of the mission God has given you to live out? You can tell by the quality of the people around you. I love this. There's a story in the, in the book of Acts. It's talking about the early church. It's called the Seven Sons of Sceva. Uh, and you can maybe look it up after you get home. Write that down. Seven Sons of Sceva. S-C-E-V-A. Now, now, it's a little bit of a, a weird story, but in this story, there are these seven brothers and they're Jewish exorcists. Kind of weird, I know. We don't see that every day. There's not, you don't see this down at Target when you're buying toilet paper, right? You just don't see this normally. But these guys, and so what they're doing is they're, they're trying to deal with this demonic influence. And this demonic influence says to them, Jesus I know. Paul I've heard of, but you, who are you? Who are you? And we need people in our life that even evil knows their name. That when they get up in the morning and make their coffee, Satan takes notice because their prayers and their life is going to shake heaven and earth. You know, people like that, you got those kind of people in your life. And we need Jesus' people in our life. Uh, hey, another one for, for the Christians, even for non-Christians, right? Even if you're spiritually unresolved. Listen, Jesus' people, we think about life differently, don't we? We think about death differently. We think about heaven differently. We think about marriage differently. We think about parenting differently. We think about money differently. We think about life differently. And we need people around us that will do that and speak truth into your life. Listen, who have you decided ahead of time that you are going to listen to? Who in your life, that no matter what they say, you're going to listen to them. You're going to consider what they say. Now listen, if you have two of those people, one of them you may disagree with, and the other one says the same thing, guess which one of you three is wrong? <laughs> you know, you have already predecided. 
So show hospitality. We need party people. Speak the truth. We need truth tellers. And then finally, in verse 11, Peter writes this. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we need people, as Peter writes here, will serve by the strength that God supplies. We need people in our life that will serve sacrificially in our life. Man, no matter what happens, you need people, and I need people who are going to show up. They can bend over backwards. Like they, they're not even going to ask what you need because they know you probably don't know. Man, we need people who will show up in the emergency room. We need people who will show up in that ICU waiting room. We need people who will show up on the doorstep when things go south. Man, we need people who, when they see our life coming off the rails, they're going to be there. And it doesn't matter if it gets difficult, they're going to show up. It doesn't matter if it gets hard. It doesn't matter if you do something wrong or bad. They're not going to empower you, but man, but they're going to be there to wrap you up and hang on and to help you get through. Even Jesus had people like this. Man, there's this story of Jesus when he's about to be executed at the very end of his life. And it's the night before they're about to arrest him. And he goes to pray and he takes with him Peter and James and John. He takes with him, he says, hey, come with me. Pray with me. I'm tired. I'm lonely. I'm weak. I need you. And these kind of people showed up. And this is the kind of people that we need in our life. Man, we need people that we know who to call. Who's your first call? When things go south, when it comes off the rails, when it turns upside down. Man, man, who's your first call? You know who that is? Man, and then whose first call are you? Who calls you first when something happens? And if nobody does, it may be because you haven't served sacrificially. Maybe you've always had an agenda or always just when it was easy or convenient. And whose first call are you? I want to close with with this story. Are, Are you getting the picture of what it means to be rich now? Getting the picture of what it means to be rich. There's a story in the Old Testament about these three guys that they knew what it meant to be rich. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, we sing a song called Another in the Fire that's based on their story. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had found themselves displaced from their homeland into Babylon, right? that wicked, evil city. And when we see their story emerge, the first time we see them is is around a table, eating together, sharing life together. We're, We're not really let in on the content of their conversation, but we see it lived out a few uh, chapters later in their story. You see, they they had spent some time eating together and then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, built this statue in the middle of the city that everybody was commanded to bow to the statue, idol worship. And and the penalty for not bowing was execution. It was being thrown into a fiery furnace and burned alive. So the time came for them to have to bow. And I can only imagine the conversation, can't you? Shadrach, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to bow. 
we, we, we aren't bowing people. We're God-fearing people. We believe God will come through for us. And if he doesn't, then that will still be okay because we know he's got our eternity. Don't you bow in times because you're afraid. We got this. And then it says they were thrown into the furnace. I can only imagine that conversation. Like, oh, guys, what do you think? Should we bow or should we go in? Meshach, you know what? We got this. I'll go with you. I'm with you no matter what. Even to my death, we're going in. We'll do this together. See, they served each other sacrificially. They get into the furnace, and the king comes to look in. There wasn't three in there, but there was four. And what scholars say is that that was the Lord in their presence in the furnace. And you see, the closer we draw to God's people, Listen to this, the clearer we see Jesus. Listen, the closer we draw to God's people, the clearer we see to Jesus. Listen, we've talked about getting in a group. We don't want you to get in a group because it's cool or fun or so you can have some friends. We want you to meet some people who may could be your lifeline out of the fire. Now, are you rich? And if not, what would stop you from getting rich today? Let's pray together. God, we know that you've wired us, designed us, crafted our souls to be connected to each other. God, that we're just better when we're with other people, when we have the right people in our lives, <clears throat> people who will just open the door for us and just be our party people. God, people who will serve us, who will speak truth into our lives, point out our blind spots, help us to be the people that you've created us to be and the people that we dream of being, God. You know, and in this moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is a friend. Man, he's a friend of everybody. And maybe today's the day as we close out our follow season series that you want to follow Jesus today. It'd be the first time you know you've thought about it, uh, contemplated it, but you never really made a decision. I'm going to follow. And today's the day for you. And the way that you do that is just through a commitment of a prayer commitment. It's just when you commit to the Lord, hey, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And if that's you today, man, I, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer and just pray in your heart after me. Hey, dear God, I want to follow Jesus. I trust that he died to forgive me of my sins and to grant me a new life. You know, and the Bible says that if you do that, man, it, while it's so simple, it's not easy. It's life changing. And then you get a new heart. You're a new creation. And I'm certain that for those of you who prayed that, it this wasn't the first time you thought about it. <laughs> wasn't a split second decision, wasn't spur of the moment, but you've been thinking about it. But today, for some reason, you knew that was your decision today. And it's, it's a monumental decision. And I want to help you mark the moment very simply. I'm going to count to three. On the count of three, if that was you today, you decided to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand in the air and let's just make eye contact. Just as a way for you to mark the moment. There's something about marking moments and there's something about someone seeing you do it that actually will help solidify it in your heart. So on the count of three, if that was you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Yeah. That's great. 
God, thanks for a church that just so sold out to reaching people, man, to seeing lives transformed. It's not content to just come sit in a room and enjoy a Sunday experience, but God wants to see the world shaken, turned upside down, God. Thank you that we get that opportunity. Lord, what you've done in our church from kids through adults, Lord, is just miraculous. And we, man, we don't want to take it for granted. God, I pray as we close out our 22 days of fasting, Lord, that you would just answer and show up in some undeniable, unexpected ways in our lives, God, with answers to prayer, but even beyond that, Lord. But God, we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.